Yet again. Yes. Episode two. Mm-hmm. Uh, episode one came out last week. Yes. yes. Had some technical difficulties we have heard about and mm-hmm. also noticed uh, when I was putting it together. That's okay. It happens. This is a learning process. Yes. Yeah. We are learning. Things are going to get better and better as we go on. <laughs> um the thing about podcasts that are different now than when I was doing them originally is mm-hmm. like podcasts used to be just sound. Right. Which is your expertise. Which is something I, I happen to know a lot about. Right. Uh, but now podcasts are also videos mm-hmm. that people watch on the Internet. Right. And through social media. So there is a new element. There are new uh, softwares that have to be learned. We're learning them. Yeah. And things are going to go great. Hopefully from now on. Forever every, and ever. Every, yes. Every episode is going to get a little bit more polished. Yes. 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 So how are you? I'm good. I'm good. It's been a long week at the day job, so mm. you know how it goes. And it just keeps getting longer. Yeah. Yeah, it does. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I could be like, oh, it's going to smooth out soon, but we're about to go into holiday, so it's just going to be Ugh. like as these per- like videos progress, you're just going to see me more and more getting wore down, so it's going to be like... By November, my hair is going to be in a messy bun. When I have like 18 cups of coffee, I'm going to be like, what are we talking about? Yeah. Yeah. Great. Can't Mm -hmm. wait for it. Yeah. It'll it'll be be so exciting. Fun and unhinged. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, what are you working on right now? So outside of the day job right now, like writing wise, I finished up Gardens and Ghosts. So bows on top, ready to go. Things have been formatted and slotted in and yay. Um, So currently I'm working on the next Wild Contracts book. I had to do like a massive shift in the plot because I realized the plot point was going to work. Like I had everything. Yeah, I hate that. But I'm glad I caught it now because I had to plan out books two and three at the same time. So being able to see how everything's going to connect when I was like running through it with Jess, we realized it was a huge thing that wasn't going to work. So I had to walk a lot of the manuscript back for draft two. So or book number two's draft. So I'm like kind of starting all the way over, which is has to be done sometimes but Mm. i hate it like i don't want to have to scrap everything so i've restarted i'm getting back to where i was but yeah it's been rough so when that happens is it like an outlining thing that like one missed thing is like oh and actually if you go back (laughs) mm -hmm. well it's kind of a weird thing because i i've just recently embraced outlining i used to be like pantser like ride or die kind of thing but with this story in particular, I had to be, I had to embrace outlines just because I wanted everything to connect correctly. So we did an outline for everything. And then like, we kind of refine it as I'm in those books. Mm. So when we refined what we wanted to do for books two and three, and I started writing, I realized that the way that the story was going kind of organically as I wrote it, wasn't going to fit with the original idea. Mm. So I was like, we're going to have to fix this. Like we're going to have to scrap this idea or tweak it a certain way, which ends up being better in the long run. But I just don't want to have to do double work, which is what this is. Yeah. Yeah. That sucks. Yeah, it does. I don't even like having to backtrack when I'm like driving. 
Right? Yeah, we're, <laughs> we're just not meant to go to Walmart today. I'm just gonna yeah, like, like, keep no, going. No, I already passed that. Yeah, I'm not going back. Exactly. So, <laughs> so yeah, it's it's been uh, a mental exercise for me having to like and be okay with it and like rewrites are part of the process. It's fine, but I can't help but be a brat about it and be like, I don't want to. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't want to have to start over. Right. So, yay. But you did finish Relic, right? Yeah, so Relic is done. And I'm also battling against, like, because I, like, have Gardens of Ghosts ready to go and I don't have to touch it anymore, my brain thinks I'm in, like, oh, we get to take some time off. And that's not what's happening right now. So I'm battling me wanting to just play God of War and relax instead of actually just getting back to work. Mm. So, yeah, it's uh, I've been fighting with myself for the past, like, three days. Isn't that always fun? Yeah. The fights that happen inside our own heads mm-hmm. and hearts. Yes. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Not my favorite. And then there are fights that happen outside of ourselves. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just, yeah. uh, I don't miss having a day job. I'm not going to lie. It's It's been lovely. <laughs> and just today, too, I found out that somebody is leaving. So my very, very small team is getting even smaller right before the kickoff of the holidays. So I am just like, oh, <laughs> today's already been so long. But I hope they don't find this podcast because we are about to shit talk. No, I'm, I'm <laughs> you also about to say, no, no, don't do that. <laughs> gotta pay the bills, man. <laughs> what about you? Are you working on anything super fun? Well, now if I say no, I'm going to seem like a yeah, jackass. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're they're all super fun. <laughs> <laughs> um, I uh, am finished. I finished today mm-hmm. uh, the book I, I mentioned last week starting work on. Nice. Uh, Baiting Burke, which is the fifth book in the Shore Thing series by Jacqueline Quinn. Sweet. And then I launch into my first of two holiday books that's that so are coming crazy. up this fall. Like it seems so early. Like I know that that's the proper trajectory for like mm-hmm. making sure these books hit at the right time. But whoo, so early, man. Holiday I am, stuff. I, yeah, I am impressed because, mm-hmm. and, and this one that I'm working on now, the person like, I think they reached out to me in like March to be like, together. Hey, just want to make sure you're going to be available like around the fall. So that, like this book can come out by November. And yeah. I was like, wow, you really have your whole act together. Yeah. That's I'm amazing. Very jealous. Yeah. Like, <laughs> that's, that's amazing. Wow. Yeah. So, so yeah, that's going to be uh, The Christmas Veto by Kira Andrews. Excellent. So that will be, uh, I believe the book like is like not yet out either. Like I think the okay. book and the audiobook are going to try to come out pretty darn close to one another. That's awesome. Uh, so, so yeah, that folks have to look forward to. Uh, mm. We're already talking Christmas. Yeah. Right. And we're just skipping over some big major ones. <sighs> but yeah. I know. I hate that. Mm-hmm. Are you more of a Halloween person or a Christmas person? I I think Halloween will always be my top tier favorite, but I've recently really gotten into Christmas since me and Alex moved and like it, we're kind of isolated from the family and stuff. So I Also took, you have real winter now. Yeah, we have real winter so I can actually be like, "Oh, look, a white Christmas. That's the thing." <laughs> Instead of a like, "It's 70 outside. That's cold." Mm-hmm. Um, brr. Brr. I have to almost wear a sweater. But yeah, now that we're up here, I I really just leaned into it pretty hard so we do like the tree and the stockings and the everything whereas before we kind of just kind of phoned it in because mm-hmm. we were we had to travel so much yeah so that was a trick question the right answer is thanksgiving oh sorry yeah and we talked that about this before <laughs> so really uh you should have known better <laughs> i was i thought we were just teeing it up so you could be like thanksgiving's my favorite but apparently i uh, failed I yeah failed no, no no i gave okay. you a quiz i said what's your favorite halloween or christmas and you didn't independently bring up Thanksgiving. <laughs> so you lose. I just see the scorecard. You're like, Mm-mm, no. Oh, you don't want to see the scorecard. 
Nobody wants to see my scorecard for other people. I can't imagine. No. <laughs> Nobody wants to see that. I'm very harsh. I'm the Russian judge of moving through life. I love it. That's um, Yeah, no, Thanksgiving is just like, it's the bomb. And it never gets enough love. That's people true. always forget about it. Mm-hmm. It's sandwiched between Halloween and Christmas that yeah. people like feel really passionate about. And... Um, I just like the food. Yeah. Like, it's hard to beat. It's food. Sure. It's gathering with friends and family. Mm-hmm. It's um, food. And <laughs> Did we mention the food, you though? Know, and I also like, I like the idea of like a Thanksgiving, mm-hmm. like a time to give thanks for the things in your life that you're thankful for. Right. So uh, I, I don't so much love the origins of the holiday. No. As we look back upon it yeah. uh, with new, refreshed adult eyes. Mm-hmm. And we're not just being taught uh, the grade school version. Right. Of how this came to be. So we don't have to love that. True, but true. But we can like the spirit of it yeah. and, and what it can become. Yeah, we can redefine it. Mm-hmm, yeah. mm-hmm. So where are my Thanksgiving romance books at, people? We need to make this a thing. Bring me. And you know what? The funny thing is, like, one of my favorite shows ever mm-hmm. is Will and Grace. Right. Um, again, we can look back on it with adult eyes now and realize that it wasn't perfect. But what yeah. is? Mm-hmm. Uh, and their like major holiday episode every year, it wasn't Halloween, which you would think it was because it was a gay show (laughs) and it wasn't Christmas, which everybody else did. Mm -hmm. They always had like big Thanksgiving specials. Like their super special episode every year was like Thanksgiving. That's cool. Um, and yeah. And it's like, it's one of my favorite shows. It's one of my favorite holidays. Mm -hmm. I'm just realizing this connection right now. Nice. Yeah. Hmm. Also, if you want to listen to something else that's gay, um, Actually, the actors who played uh, Will and Jack on that show, uh, Eric McCormack and Sean Hayes, they have a podcast where they are going through every episode of the show. Oh, that's cool. Kind of like the Office Ladies. Yeah. Yeah, That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I feel like people did it before the Office Ladies. Probably. That's just the first thing that popped into my brain. I'm thinking like the origin of that trend was really like the West Wing Weekly. Okay. That's the first time I heard of somebody like from a show going back and watching... And recapping a show. Yeah. So. I think it's cool. I love that trend. Mm-hmm. It needs to be a thing for everything. Speaking of consuming entertainment mm-hmm. and then recapping it. Right. Should we talk about one of the things that will be available to our Patreon subscribers? Yes, we should. By all means. <laughs> Go. No. So we're doing something kind of cool. Um, me and Kurt are going to be reading through all of the Animorphs, the original series, uh, which is Unique for me because I missed that train when I was a kid. I was not a super big reader when I was a kid. I was just, I'm I'm currently dyslexic, but it was really tough as a kid to enjoy reading because it was so, so hard. So I missed out on all the awesomeness, what that was the Animorphs. So we're going to be starting with book one and reading them all and talking about it on on bonus episodes for our, our Patreon. So, but you're coming at it from like... Oh my god, I love this series when I was a kid. I picked it up like from the very first book when I was in sixth grade, Mm -hmm. and I stuck with it for probably way longer than it was cool. Um, (laughs) One of the fun things about this reread will will be me discovering how much I remember from the original series, like what has stuck in my brain. Um, And do I remember reading past a certain point? Because there are, in the Animorphs universe, 54 books total. That's crazy. So there's a lot to read. Yeah. And I had so many books yeah. in my house. Like I can picture them on the shelf and there were a lot. Mm-hmm. I don't know if there were 54. Hmm. 
So well, I don't know that I finished the series. Interesting. Did I grow out of it before K.A. Applegate stopped writing them? Mm, I guess we'll find we out. We will find out. So part of the reason we're doing this is that like this is one of the things in my life that was very formative in like getting me to love sci-fi and fantasy right. was these five kids that from an alien get the power to turn into animals. Which is so cool, man. It's such a cool premise. Yeah. I still, as, as I've been going back and, and reading the books, because um, I've been doing it just for fun. As right. like, uh, also to prep for this, but like I'm way ahead of where I need to be. It's just like, it's so cool mm-hmm. to go back and and re-examine the premise and the, the characters and the stakes. So that is something we will be talking about uh that will be a weekly episode that comes out exclusively for our Patreon subscribers. Mm-hmm. Uh, that will be coming to you sooner rather than later. Indeed. Uh, but we're going to keep just kind of teasing the things that we will be doing yes. uh, as as we approach the the launch of our Patreon. Yeah. So That's going to be fun. It's going to be a great time. I hope we get people that read along too, that yes. pick them up and stuff. Even if you are a full adult and have never read this series, I highly recommend it. Like I've cracked open the first book and started reading through it. And I was like, this is very entertaining, like right out the get go. But I really like the kids. Like yeah. the kids are relatable and they're interesting. And like, I think even me back then as a really picky kid, I would have still been able to relate to those kids. So yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm already like getting warm vibes from yeah. it. And I'm sure there will be people like both of us because sure. Animorphs, I feel like it was really popular when I was young. It has had a resurgence. Mm-hmm. Like it is popular once again. Yeah. Uh, it's like Scholastic has, has released the books with new covers. They've released so the cool. audiobooks. Yeah. Like I think there, there's a new fa- audience for fans of the Animorphs. Um, but there are also people who just have probably are hearing about it for the very first time right now. Yeah. Uh, see what you can do to find these books. Um, like I said, the original versions are out of print. The ebooks mm-hmm. are readily available. The audiobooks, most of them are readily available. I don't know that they've finished the whole series. Um, or check with your local library. That's the this best is definitely something they're they're gonna want on their shelves. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're middle grade books. So like they are just like little bon mots of books. Like they go down so easy. Yeah, for sure. You just open it up and like an hour later you're done and you're like, whoa. Yeah, you ripped through them pretty fast. What happened? Yeah, <laughs> especially especially some of the people who I know in male male romance who read like a oh full length book a day. Like yeah. seriously, you will sit down and sneeze and you'll be done. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, so uh, so I do hope folks will join us on that and we can uh, hear from them in Patreon about what their experience is and what their reactions are as as we go through the series. Yeah, I'm excited. It's gonna be fun. And. Speaking of reactions to things, ah, God, my segues are on point. You are nailing it today. Um, <laughs> there is one thing that has been consuming the world of queer media for the last couple of weeks, mm-hmm. and you finally had the chance to watch it, I so did. we can talk about it now. Yes, and that is the film adaptation of the book by Casey McQuiston, Red, White, and Royal Blue. Yep, I was very tardy to the party on that one. I so full disclosure, like rom com movies are really not my thing. I don't pick them up as something I typically pick, um, which is hilarious because I love romantic comedy books, like <laughs> MM romances that are funny. I'm all about it. But for whatever reason, that like super campy cheesiness that I like to consume with just my imagination doesn't super translate to film for me most of the time. But I was very delighted by this movie. It was very cute. It was definitely like 
very over the top campy cheesy and in good ways but as mm-hmm. i was consuming i was like this is ridiculous but i'm like i couldn't stop smiling so yeah it's definitely one of those feel good yeah movies yeah uh and like people have opinions oh for sure about this movie Always. some people i'm seeing online are just like absolutely loving it mm-hmm. other people are tearing it to shreds i find myself falling somewhere in the middle that's fair um and I, I read the book. You I did not. Read I did not read the book. It's on my to be read list. It has been for years. But now, now you've seen the movie. Yeah, I feel um, like I skipped the lines. Is there, <laughs> is there ever a chance of like once the movie comes out of going back to a book in your Probably TBR? Not. I think the only time I've ever read a book after the movie came out. Oh God, I can't believe I'm going to say this. Uh oh. Was Twilight. Because oh. I went to see Twilight with my friends. Mm-hmm. I think it was probably around like Thanksgiving or Christmas that it came out. I remember like friends being home from college and we went to see this movie. Yeah. And I just thought the mythology was really interesting. <laughs> I was like, Fair oh, enough. vampires that glitter? Yeah. That sparkle? Huh. Fascinating. Wow. I, so I went and I read the book. And like only the first movie had come out and there were like several more books. So yeah. I felt... Like maybe there was a chance there that it was worth going and and reading all those books, which I did. <laughs> did you like? Did you end up liking the series, or was it? Yeah, like, yeah, it was fine. I mean, it, it. Let's be honest. I my initial interest of being interested in like the mythology and the world building, mm-hmm. like that was what kept me going. Gotcha. I never really cared about the characters. I don't have like, like. I'm so lukewarm about that series. Like, if people are into it, great. But I'm like, I don't care. Yeah, straight love triangle. Eh. No, thank you. Yeah. If there had been an added element about whether or not Edward and Jacob could get I together, I would have been first in fucking. Line. We would have had a whole <laughs> different experience. Like, 100%. like, wait a minute, maybe those two. Oh, oh, oh. Yeah. Take a then, moment, please. Yeah. <laughs> then that would have been interesting to yes, me. Yes, for sure. Um, but mostly, I was in it because I'm just a huge mythology and like. I'm a fantasy nerd, yeah. so I thought that was fun. For sure. Uh, but yeah, anyways, if something's on your TBR and the movie comes out, I always feel like you're like, no chance. Yeah, no, no ch- I'm never going back. Probably not. But there were, in this case, changes from the book that I really appreciated. Mm-hmm. And so I enjoyed getting to see how they moved. The pacing was a little faster, obviously, because it's a movie. Right. Um, there's a whole plot in the book about his, his like bisexual awakening even though he had like a long-term sexual relationship with a high school friend. And then he was like, Oh, I like dudes. That's like in the <laughs> book, so in the book, me. it just seems so like strange. Yeah. And in the movie, so they made it, he's had two sexual partners of the same gender. Uh, and he, it's really not like a thing mm-hmm. when he like admits to his friend that he's, into this prince she's right. like okay i saw that coming and he's like yeah okay let's yeah, uh, let's all I, move on yeah i think it's the normal human response to that be like nobody's surprised by this mm-hmm. right so I'm like okay fine sure, sure great sure. we're doing this now yeah uh, and they just kind of skate right by it mm-hmm. uh and there's i mean there's still in the movie a coming out scene mm-hmm. because he has to tell his parents right. but it really does feel like the stakes of that are so much more about who it is he's interested in right. and not the gender of the person he's yeah, interested in. Yeah, which I can appreciate. Like, I, I like that not being f- front and center because they could have just made that another, like, one of his parents disapproves and, mm-hmm. you know, all that stuff. And I'm like, I'm glad we just skipped that. And it's more like, oh, crap. Like, this could cause an international incident, not just because he's a dude. I was like, right. that's that's nice. That's a nice, comforting feeling. Right, right. So, so I did like that. Mm-hmm. Um, one element of the movie that did not appear in the book, however, mm-hmm. was Uma Thurman's accent. <laughs> I feel like we could have a whole separate podcast. About now, that. as a native Texan, mm-hmm. 
What are your thoughts on Uma Thurman's accent in Red, White, and Royal Blue? I was so excited to see her. And then she spoke. <laughs> and I was like... What do you mean? Okay. <laughs> like, just... Uh, and I, like... I am self-aware enough to know because I'm Texan, like that I was maybe being a little precious about it. So I was like, well, maybe it's just, um, it's bad. It's just bad. (laughs) I, it's just to me, like I stereotypical Southern, I guess, and not really like Texan. I, I disliked it heavily. (laughs) (laughs) I wanted to just look past it, but no, I don't. See, I think you're thinking about this in the wrong way. It's not about whether or not the accent is good or bad. Mm -hmm. It is iconic. (laughs) It exists in a world of its own. (laughs) Uma Thurman got this part and said, I'm going to be president from Texas and I'm going to go to the Foghorn Leghorn School (laughs) of Dramatic Accents. Oh, my God. And I'm going to just attack this role with every... Southern ter- stereotype I can think of. And I don't ca- I'm not going to go to Texas. Uh, I don't want to hear what a real Texas person sounds like in the year of our Lord 2023. I know what this Texas president should sound like. It's iconic. It's camp. It will live in infamy. I think it is the perfect marriage of movie and actress and accent (laughs) i'm glad it brought you so much joy i was so sad it really did (laughs) it really it brought me so much joy is it accurate no no is it so fun it is so fun (laughs) sometimes you can go so wrong you go right and that is where I felt we landed. Fair. That's fair. I I feel like next time I watch this movie, I'm just going to like skip through or turn the volume down or something and just be like, it's fine. Don't you dare. <laughs> the only other thing about the movie that I definitely want to touch on um, is I, I know there is some discourse about the two actors playing these roles mm-hmm. uh, because neither one identifies as queer publicly playing these queer roles. I had no idea about that. There is still a part of me as a queer person who gets cast in queer things that still gets annoyed Mm -hmm. when that happens. I understand like the initial gut feeling of like, "Mm, I don't like that. That doesn't feel good. Right. Uh, Couldn't we do better? Mm -hmm. Um, But I will say that these two actors I thought did a very good job and that they actually had chemistry and that I enjoyed. Yeah, I'm I'm surprised by that because they it did feel pretty genuine on screen. Like there was it was pretty hot and heavy and like I really appreciated the whole relationship dynamic. Um so yeah, that's tricky. I mix emotions about that for sure, but acting wise, I think they did stellar. It was yeah. really awesome. Yeah. So we would love to hear your thoughts on red, white and royal blue. Mm-hmm. So feel free to hop into the comments on any of our social medias. Send us an email at hoofandfangpodcast at gmail.com. For sure. Um, we know there is a lot of opinions out there. Yep. All of them valid. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, you've just heard ours. Yeah. So we didn't even uh, touch upon the fuzzy butt situation. Thank you for bringing up the fuzzy butt situation. Yeah, fuzzy butt representation. It's really important yeah. 
to acknowledge what a male body actually looks like. Yeah. I mean, not all male bodies look like that say, body. Um, that's a manufactured um, one, minus the fuzzy butt. <laughs> right. But at least there was a little bit of reality coming into that situation. Mm-hmm. They didn't make him shave his ass. Yeah. We appreciate that. Yes. Thank you very much. Gold star. Matthew Lopez, director of Red, White, and Royal Blue. Keep it in. Love it. Keep it in. <laughs> So this week, we are talking to author O.E. Tierman. O.E. Tierman is a pen name for a writing duo, Olivia Wiley and E.S. Argentum. Bringing their own experiences as a marginalized author to the page with flawed and genuine characters, O.E. Tierman's work has been described as firefly for the dystopian genre. They are a recipient of the 2023 Feathered Quill Award, a member of the Science Fiction Writers of America, the Rocky Mountain Fiction Writers, and the Queer Sci-Fi Group. In their spare time, they teach workshops on writing LGBTQ characters, plant gardens to encourage sustainable agriculture practices, which is a big part of their identity, which you will find out in the interview. And they play too many video games. Can relate. Can or can't? I can. Okay, just not lately. (laughs) Yeah, just not right now, because I'm busy. (laughs) So this is our interview with O.E. Tierman. All right, so welcome to the Hoof and Fang podcast. Uh, the author duo O.E. Tierman. So joining us, we have Olivia Anonier. Welcome. Hey, Hi, everybody. Thanks for okay, having us. So, thank you. So first, we're going to start with the name so that people understand who we are talking to. Um, because there's multiple pseudonyms I in play so here. I have so many. There's multiple pseudonyms. So you explain <laughs> O.E. Tierman and where that comes from. Uh, so. When we first started writing together, we wanted to make sure that it was easier to find us. So we didn't necessarily want to say, hey, we're a co-written duo. We want to just have one name. And so we took our initials, um, O for Olivia, E for E.S. Argentum, which is uh, my personal writing pseudonym. Um, and then took a while to come up with the last name. Or we had met through an Irish speaking club that Liv organized. We came across Chairman, which means uh, safe harbor in Irish. And since the series that we're writing, um, we really want it to be kind of that community building and emotional support for folks, as well as being an entertaining adventure. Uh, we felt it was it was a very appropriate name. Uh, and so we got O for Olivia, E for ES Sargentum, and Tierman. Love it. That's yeah, so cool. The last name thing is really cool because you you have it on your website. And so, or, like, well, we were getting prepared for the podcast. I, I went nuts on y'all's website and was, like, clicking on oh, everything. Awesome. And just kept being like, this is awesome. This is awesome. <laughs> and I looked at the <laughs> Tierman part and was like, that's so cool. Like, I didn't put that much name into my, or like much thought into my last name for my pin name. And I was like, I got to step it up. Like, this is so neat. So, yeah, love that. Well, thank Loved it you. So much. Maddox yeah, isn't like uh, Celtic for something fun. No, I just was like, this one's cool. <laughs> as, as someone who picks my own normal name, Nonier, um, surprise, it's not my legal name. <laughs> but uh, I, I do put a lot of thought into names personally because it, it's hard to find one that fits mm-hmm. uh and so when we were talking and Liv suggested hey why don't we look at something irish and find something that's meaningful i went heck yes yeah yeah 
And for me, it was important because I grew up in a half Irish household and I was taught, you know, names are important. Names give a soul to things. And if you, what name you choose tells you what path you're walking, essentially. And I grew up hearing Irish around the house. It doesn't mean I'm fluent by any means. I'm actually <laughs> not as good as Nodier is. But my instinct is always, Let, let's go with something Irish. I know. Mm -hmm. I grew up in an English-speaking household, and some days it's all I can do to get through. English is a <laughs> freaking weird language. So. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah it's, you, my friend yeah. teaches English, and uh, she calls it a dumpster fire of a language, and she just it is. It like, is. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's what happens when five languages get in a tussle and grab bag each other. Yeah. <laughs> you end up with this crazy amalgam quilt of everyone that the Anglo-Saxons ever screwed with, essentially. <laughs> yeah. yeah. There are rules, but the rules make no sense, and they don't actually apply to most things. Yeah. That sounds like a Neil Gaiman novel. Like the anthropomorphized yeah. version of five different languages getting into some sort of epic battle, and then out the other side Has comes anyone, the English language. Comes, right? Like, somebody needs to pitch this to him. I would read the <laughs> crap out of that. that I amazing. would, too. Not gonna lie, I would, yeah. too. Yeah. Right, Neil Gaiman. <laughs> right. <laughs> So, um, non sequitur, well, kind of, but usually I would ask you about other things, but I'm going to jump right into, so the naming thing, does that apply to your writing as well? Like, do you guys take a lot of time thinking about, um, what you're going to name your characters? Um, yes and no. Some characters kind of just pop into our heads. Um, so we started this as, uh, writing basically a play by post role play where we'd posit an idea and we'd start bouncing things back and forth. So sometimes it was just, his name's Jim. But um, I started off in a storytelling environment. Oh, when I was a little kid, my family told a lot of stories. So choosing names was always really important. And I'll admit this with some embarrassment. The more I like a character, the more careful I am about choosing their name. <laughs> um, uh, poor Jim. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Definitely, definitely um, favorite child syndrome. Um so some names have a lot of meaning um, and it's often an in-joke. Like um, one of our characters, the logistics officer, his last name is McKillian. And that means of the Isles. And Kevin comes from the word for nobility in Irish. So the noble one of the Isles. That's really and then cool. on my end, Aiden uh, actually was a name I was trying out for myself for a while. And I was like, I'm just going to use this as a self-insert. Why not? <laughs> and uh, here we are, what, almost 10 years later? <laughs> I'm like, oh. <laughs> yeah. But the names of um, places and events get a lot of thought. Like choosing what organizations will call themselves gets a lot of careful thought. It helps that we did everything as a rough draft in about the course of two years. Um, and then we could go back through and go, we need a better name for this. This has to have a better name, um, which was nice because so many folks write, edit, and do a draft of the first book in the series and three books in, they kick themselves and go, why didn't we change that? I've yeah. done that. Can't yeah, relate. I've, I've done that in my personal stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yes, me too. Where, three, you know, later in life, you're like, why did I do this to myself? Uh -huh. Yeah. Sure. So let's back up a little bit. How did each of you become 
writers? What what led you to uh, writing in general? And then what what brought you two together? <laughs> okay. Um, my short story is until I hung out with this one, I didn't call myself a writer. I was a uh, Shanake. I was a storyteller who didn't have an audience. So I'd write things down because I didn't have anybody to tell oral stories to. So I come from way up in upper Wisconsin and I came from a community where storytelling was verbal and we were also blue collar. And, uh, I very much got the impression books are for other people books are for over there. We tell stories. And then life changed. A lot of things changed. My mom moved us out of that part of the world and started taking us around the country. And so as a young person, I was a storyteller cut off from my audience, my community. So I hit Colorado right about the time it was time to start going to college. And I went to CSU, found some storytelling there, but not what I needed hit Denver, started an Irish speaking club, met Nonier, and had a really crappy out-of-college job at the time and really needed something to love, basically. Something to do to tell stories. So we started telling stories together in the evenings, and then 2016 hit like a hammer. And all of our community was just repeating the same phrase, we're screwed, we're screwed, we're screwed, and I have a scrappy streak in me. So I turned to my writing buddy and I was like, we need to tell a story that is not, that is, okay, let's pause it. We're screwed. And that's a figure out how to get out of it. Because mm. I think people just repeating we're screwed and not having an answer when I say, what do we do about it? So yeah, that's how it started. Yeah. It's, it's so strange just to think about the trauma that was 2016. <laughs> after living through 2020 yeah right like it's almost it's almost hard to remember like oh yeah that felt terrible too <laughs> everything has been terrible for yes. years mm -hmm. for a long it's kind of like 2016 <laughs> was that first clip in the dystopian movies that tells you everything is gonna go bad from here mm -hmm. <laughs> i laugh because otherwise i'd be screaming i'm the Fair. screamer yeah <laughs> All yeah, right, well, it's your, your turn. Scream yeah, away. <laughs> I, I was a little bit opposite. Um, I grew up in a household full of books. My mom was a bibliophile. Uh, she actually did editing for a little while, um, and she would read to me and my sister every night. Which she, We read Narnia, we read Harry Potter, um, all sorts of things. And so I was in love with books from a young age. Um, and then in eighth grade i was super bored in french class one day and decided you know what i could tell a story and so i started writing um i wrote my first novel which never actually got finished and was about half of a spiral bound notebook mm -hmm. um between eighth and ninth grade uh wrote my first actual novel throughout high school and college um, started going to writing conferences, really honing my craft, um, pitching to editors, pitching to agents, getting really involved in the publishing world, um, and like trying to go for that traditional publishing route. Um, finally kind of burnt out on that because I am writing very niche, very queer stuff and fully admit at the time I was pitching, I needed a lot more work to be 
the writer that I wanted to be. Um, yeah, so I, I've been writing for a long time and Liv just made me put my stories out in the world. So uh, what then the, so the inciting incident was, uh, 2016 uh-huh. and then how did you approach creating the aces high jokers wild world? And for those who are listening, who don't know, like I do narrate that series, which is how I know, uh, uh the world and, and these authors. Um, but it is, it, and it makes sense because you said it, you took two years to do it, but like, it's so complex it's so well thought out and as we've discussed via email sometimes scarily prophetic in like the shit that has happened over the last few years and it was like wait when did they write this book because if it wasn't yesterday then what the fuck yeah we've done that to ourselves too yeah we we often turn to each other and essentially say will reality stop stealing the plots <laughs> it's actually very frustrating as a creative person where you're imagining what's my nightmare what's the worst that could happen and then a year later it pops up in the news or worse it pops up in the news as you publish the book that you wrote three years ago and you're just like no that was not an encouragement that was not a, a recipe that was a nightmare what are you doing yeah um the worst that happened was when book five which includes a bioweapon came out it came out in the middle of COVID. <laughs> oh my god! Oh, it okay. was miserable. <laughs> and yeah, I was, I was just, I actually, I think I turned to you, no near, and I was like, "Should we push this back? Because this is awful." It was really bad timing. Yeah. <laughs> it was, it was hell. <laughs> and the first one wasn't much better. Uh, right after it came out, um, so for folks who are new to the series, um, the series posits that the American government falls in the next 75 years because there is a government shutdown and wrangling session that lasts 11 months. And the corporations that are biggest at the time step in and said, don't pay your taxes to the government, pay them to us, we'll take care of you. And things get worse from there. About three months after that came out, the first recent shutdown happened. And I literally put my head down on my desk and just went, God damn it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it was not a good day. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, it's been extremely frustrating to it's been both validating and frustrating. It's kind of like, oh, look at that. I warned you. Crap. So yeah, that's been quite a trip. As far as the actual world building goes, though, um a lot of it honestly was haphazard at first. Cause we were just like Liv said, we were role-playing. We were just focused on characters and emotion and plot and what kid, what bullshit can we get them into next? Uh, and then as the plots and the characters grew and became more complex and more interesting, we had to flesh out the world around them to make more sense. Um, so it just kind of grew organically, really. And then once the full series was done as the role-play... Uh, We've gone back and looked at the end and the things that were really fleshed out and said, okay, how did we get there? (laughs) What makes sense and kind of works backwards from there. Um, Liv tackles a lot of the technical and political stuff, um, and I tackle a lot of the character building and emotional things. 
Yeah. And I, I'm a research junkie. So I get to just dive in and say, what if we expanded this here? What if we did this over here? And that is something I love. But we also get to work in a lot of in-jokes by going back into the corpus of the series is already there. It's eight books that we knocked out over the course of two years. So it's nice to be able to dive back in and say, oh, what if we put this in here to echo what's going to happen later? And we also get to put in little in-jokes from living in Denver, like burning down the Purina dog food um, <laughs> place, because everyone who drives past that thing hates it. You know it you live in Denver the- when you can smell this picture. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it stinks, and it's loud, and, and it blocks up traffic. Everyone hates the thing. So essentially, mm. I, got, I got that moment of, I just got stuck in a three-hour parking jam behind the Purina dog food place. Can we burn it down? I love that. I was going to ask how you guys tackle co-writing a series this big. Like, is it one of those, like, one of you will write one chapter and then the other one takes the next one? Do you both kind of go in and write at the same time? I I was just curious from an author standpoint how how y'all tackled that. What we did originally was we agreed on a general premise and then one of us would put up a line of dialogue from a character and the next one would answer it. And we just bounce it back and forth, back and forth via Skype. Just kept going until we felt like we'd hit a good end point to a story and start a new story. And some of those stories will never see the light of day and they don't need to, but we needed to write them. Some of them are what are now the books. And now we have... The corpus of the series, which is eight um, folders on our drive that say book one, book two, book three, so on, up to book eight, which is going to come out next July and is going to be the end of the series. And essentially, I my job is to dive into the material, which we call draft zero, and go, what were we doing then? Okay, let's take this bit. Let's clean this up. <laughs> let's add some research in. What the hell was that? I don't know. It's getting cut. And then I <laughs> hand it over to Nonier when I've got draft one. They run through it, clean up and tweak and, and improve a lot of the interpersonals and sometimes take me back a step on my scientific descriptions because I go Tolkien. I'm bad about this and I mm-hmm. know it. Um, and the one exception we leave is um, when Kevin's talking because he has a very elevated syntax. We allow those and then we insert a joke about him being a snob. Um, (laughs) And that's how we, and then we hand draft two over to our beta readers. They help us clean it up. Then we hand draft three over to our sensitivity readers and expert readers. They help us pull our heads out of our asses. And then that very clean copy goes to the press. We're published through Amphibian Press out of New England. And then the um, press says, almost all perfect, fix these three things. We do that. We get galley copies back. We grumble about the printing. We fix that. Then it's ready. Perfect. (laughs) Then we publish it and find 20 typos. Yeah, that's that's just the law of publishing a book. It is. It is. It really is. Well, and when I've we yet, started, I've yet to narrate a book, and I'm at almost 200. I've yet to narrate one where there wasn't typos, multiple typos. Like yeah. they exist. 
I have to say that's really comforting to hear because I'm a bit of a perfectionist. And when I find one, I, I go into, I have failed. <laughs> yeah, I've had to talk her down from that. The scope of a novel, even a short novel, like that's a hell of a lot of words. So like you're going to you're going to bump up against a few. And I mean, even like big five publishers, like I know you can't fix it for the first print, but FYI, you could change these for the ebook or something, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And yeah, no news how had to talk me around a couple of times. Every time the every time we put out a new book, live, it's OK. Mm. We have typos. It's fine. Yeah, yeah, just well, like every know- other book, except maybe like children's books. Yeah. They, they aren't doing because that, that there heavy of a fewer lift. Words. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> five words on a page, it's pretty easy to spot the one that's wrong. Yeah, yeah. and the, yeah. Like, the font's really big, so it's really easy to catch them. I'm just going to say, I think everybody needs a friend who just talks you down from the edge when you're uh, at any point in the writing process, being like, hey, <laughs> you're fine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. Those are the angels. <laughs> we need them. <laughs> I, I honestly think that's the best part about co-writing for me yeah because uh, we both have anxiety about all the things and so being able to say hey i am experiencing this anxiety about this thing i know my brain is being bad help me through this and knowing that there's no shame no judgment and we can work through it together whether we're working on a project together or separately just knowing that my co-writers got my back is yeah super and on both counts super great yeah that sounds yeah. great doesn't it it really i want that <laughs> yeah it really really i mean is. i'm down the hall you could just come down here and i'll be like oh hey, I, it's fine <laughs> but i do i bitch a lot yeah <laughs> I'll, I'll exit the the booth and be like you won't believe what this author's making me do <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, and I'll be honest on this. I remember writing you an email, Kurt, where I was like, uh, we've got typos. Can we fix things? And you were very reassuring, but very firm. It's okay. There are typos. Mm-hmm. You don't need to change the leap. Yeah. <laughs> and that helped. Yeah. It's well, and like the thing too with, and I have this conversation obviously with indie authors more because I don't talk to authors when it's through publishers usually. <laughs> like right, they keep right. us separate. But like, Sometimes there's even typos that it's like, well, that that makes perfect sense, though, if you say it out loud. <laughs> yes. Like, it's perfectly fine. Like, nobody will, nobody will mind. Yeah. Um, and then there are other things that, like, would never trip you up on the page as you're reading it. But if you say it out loud, it's like, oh, those two words that look nothing alike rhyme. <laughs> yes. And boy, yeah. does that sound weird. <laughs> like, now I'm in yeah. a Dr. Seuss book. But because, again, English is so stupid. Right. It's right. like things that... And, in in print or like oh that looks great yeah 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 yeah. and then you say it out loud he's like oh that's right those yeah. make the same sounds <laughs> yeah well, and working with you kurt has i think improved our writing because now when i'm double checking things i'm like we should find a synonym for that because having that word twice in one sentence is going to stand out when it's read yeah yeah exactly stuff like that is it's the stuff that I talk, go back most often and, and with certain authors who I've worked with for a long time and I, I'll do it for your books too. Like if I run into something that I'm like, well, that just sounds awkward. I'm just going to say a different word and then they can check me on it on the back end if they really don't like it. But yeah, if they don't want to have that same word in the same sentence twice, then I'll just say something else. It's honestly one of right. my pet peeves. So thanks. Yeah. Yeah. We appreciate it. 
<laughs> right. Well, because uh, it, it's one of those things too, where you're trying to preemptively fix a thing that like, you know, you're going to get on the back end. <laughs> like, yes. like, oh, they're going to hear this and want to change it. Yeah. So why don't I just fix it now? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? Well, and talking about preemptive fixes on the back end, um, when I'm writing and I'm adding in stuff from other languages, it's really funny because whether it's Latin and I'm giving Latin names for a bacillus or a plant or whether it's something that we've used from um, one of our more diverse characters, my word processor throws a fit. It, it doesn't it, even like oh Latin. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm a landscaper, so I'm writing Latin for my, for my day job clients all the time. And my processor still hates it. So I go through preemptively and just say, ignore all these words so that it doesn't <laughs> say we have a bunch of spelling problems later. Right. Yeah. No. That's smart. Yeah. Yeah. And like the nice thing about the work I've done for you guys is almost always I can find the reference online. Like there, somebody has said it out loud. Yeah. The worst time I have trying to find accurate um, pronunciations is in dinosaurs. Oh, no. Their proper That's names. That's not surprising. Yeah. That's not surprising <laughs> at Very all. Very hard to find somebody saying, like, consistent experts saying the names of dinosaurs well, the it, same it, way. Yeah. Because yeah, most of them are written, not spoken. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it doesn't help that um, in that genre, or in that field, as well as in my own field, even the experts don't agree. I mean, I have watched horticulturists and botanists get into bitter little tiffs about, no, this word is pronounced this way. Or sniping each other over, uh, you pronounce your Latin like that. And mm -hmm. it's so hilarious because nobody knows how the Romans spoke it. We just right. do our best with what we've got. And we mm -hmm. speak it the way our teachers spoke it. So if your teacher spoke it differently than their teacher, say la vie. Close yeah, enough. And, and sometimes it's not even about what's right. It's about what would this person in this time and place Yes. How would they okay. say this word? Mm -hmm. um, like, I'll, I'll get into that sometimes, too. I don't know how this became a thing about pronunciations in audiobooks, but welcome. Um, <laughs> welcome to my TED Talk. Uh, about, <laughs> but, like, sometimes you will get pushback. Like, oh, technically, this is the correct uh, pronunciation if you go back to the old English and how it... And it's like, well, but nobody has ever said that word that way. Yes. Or we if they in. did, like they haven't in the last 20 years. What was, oh, Crocombouche was the last one I got back from a big publisher. And they wanted me to say it like Crackenbush or something. And like they gave me the reason why and like the reference. And I was like, okay, so this is legit. I was like, but the character literally talks about getting this recipe from Bon Appetit. Like they watch a YouTube video from Bon Appetit. And I was like, and I know Claire Saffet says Crocombouche. So we're saying yeah. Crocombouche. Yes. You would not know how to say Crocombouche or whatever you think the correct French, if you put it through a meat grinder and then said it this way. And like the one reference you have is like, no, yeah. we're not doing it. Yes, and I always get, I always get myself so geared up for a fight. I'm like, they're going to come back and we're going to have to really go at it. And most of the time you're just like, no, I'm not changing that. And they're like, okay. Yeah, exactly. And you have all this pent up energy for nothing. Mm -hmm, right. <laughs> I totally hear you. And we bump into that because we have characters from very different socioeconomic circumstances. And sometimes I'm writing a sentence or we're writing sentences together. And we've actually had this conversation where it's like, well, this is how you say it properly. But honestly, this is a street kid. How's she going to say it? Or how's he going to say mm -hmm. it? Not mm -hmm. properly. Mm -hmm. Um. 
And it it's taken me down some interesting rabbit holes of experimenting with YouTube videos of this kind of street slang and that kind of street slang and trying to write characters without accidentally writing caricatures because you don't Mm want to fall into the cultural mistake of Uncle Tom's Cabin. That was awful. But at the same Mm -hmm. time, you don't want to represent somebody speaking the Queen's English who doesn't. Um, And And you need to make sure it's still legible. Yeah. And it's been very fun. Um, And I know I keep circling back to this one character, but we have one character who speaks basically a lingo that he picked up from old movies. So it's not right, but he thinks it is because that's the movies he watched. And it's really funny putting in these subtle mistakes of someone who's only ever heard it fourth hand, but thinks it's pretty. And that's always fun because that's what happens in our culture. And that's what happens in the real world. And um, I stopped worrying about absolute um, accuracy um, for example, um, in one of the upcoming books, there's an eagle named Gwenefwe, which is a Welsh word that in its original is spelled completely different, but I spelled it the way it's pronounced because this is a person who's gotten it from their elders uh, verbally. Wouldn't know how it's spelled. Welsh. Yeah, if also we're talking Welsh. about also fucked Welsh. up languages. <laughs> yes. Um, and it's it's fun to just be like, realistically what is the character going to hear that's what i'm writing and, and also how pleasant would it be in audio form to hear somebody like going <laughs> which is like <laughs> half half of welsh you know like well yeah and it's funny because i <laughs> I, I was not I, a vowel yeah <laughs> yes neither is why <laughs> whatever they say sometimes not. why mm-hmm but it's funny because I grew up, um, so my mom was a contractor and we moved every three to six months. And so my mom had to figure out how to keep kids amused in a very long car drive at least four times a year. Um, she's put in audiobooks. And I passed on some of my own issues with words to my character where I can speak it, but I can't spell it or vice versa because I either learned it from a book or I learned it from an audiobook. And then I try to switch media and the other person's (laughs) looking at me like, what? Mm -hmm. Like, that's where I learned it. And that's how the human brain is. We we find bits and pieces of what feels right and we put them together. And I think as long as you're honest about that, that's cool. That's how the human brain is and how the human species is. The only problem I ever have is when somebody has picked up bits and pieces and quilted them together and then says, well, this is what it really is. Mm. No, you've got a crazy quilt of sources there. Right. Well, and isn't it interesting how, in my experience, the people who are most like militant about those sorts of things aren't writers or narrators. Like they're not people who actually work in words because you've almost had to learn exactly what you just said, which is that you have to contextualize it. You have to understand that people come from different backgrounds and you have to sort of forgive. But people who write book reviews... (laughs) They are, uh-huh. they are not a part of that world and they have very strong opinions about what yes. is right and what is wrong. Yeah. Yes. And then. So on Amazon, people can go in and report typos. I don't know how many times I've had to go in and mark it as not an issue because I'm like, this is how they talk. Yes. Like, it's wrong on purpose. Like, or not. It's. Yeah. 
I guess, technically wrong, but in the conversational English, it's fine. So leave me alone. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. just yeah. ridiculous. We had somebody report our work and the press passed it along to us as kind of a haha, isn't this a real, real ridiculous, excuse me, um, that one of our characters has a stutter and somebody reported it because it was annoying to read. And it was like, it is what it is. Get off my back. Like, you think a Tweak cannot, ha- like, help how they talk. Like, knock it off. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Tweak talks the way she talks. Like, deal. Yeah. And for a reason. Like, yeah, and for it's a very just, important... We decided we're going to make this specifically annoying for our readers. Yeah. Yeah, that's... <laughs> like, <laughs> there are things that that's what cliffhangers <laughs> and sh- stupid plot twists are for. Yes. yes. But that is not one of them. Actually, my favorite bad reviews, this is just, this is a tangential gripe. In the front of each of one of our books, there is a explicit sex and these issues trigger warning. And we still get two-star reviews. There was sex in here. No shit, Sherlock. (laughs) (laughs) Or this book was too queer for me. I. How How did you you miss that? That. You know okay. what? It's because you didn't put a half-naked man on the cover. I know. How dare you? So It's because it's not marketed. How are they supposed to know? It's not Close. pure erotica, ergo. Mm-hmm. It's chit queer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It always makes me laugh, where I'm just like, hey, if you didn't read the warning sign, that one's on you. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, that is on you. So much is on them. Yeah. And they carry it with them, and God bless. <laughs> yeah, it's just like, I hope your life gets better. Yeah, yeah. I was like, well, for you to for you to take the time, I really appreciate me taking up so much of your brain space for at least the twenty minutes it took you to write this. Mm-hmm. Yes, please make but sure to we, pass the book on so other people mm-hmm. can also read. Yeah. Well, and we have fun because um, those are the few people that we do caricature. Because what you said earlier, Kurt, is so true. The people who are the most adamant often know the least. And one of the corporations in our series does all of the food creation and they have gone the hyper-religious we are the people of God route so that they have not just economic control but psychological control over their people. And it's so much fun writing these things where as somebody living now you can see that that is not Christianity. That doesn't make lick of sense according to the actual written stuff which has its own very complicated history of being a crazy quilt. But they will kill somebody who does something different than what they think is in the good book. And these are the people who haven't read the damn thing. Mm-hmm. And I love caricaturing that bullshit because it's like, either know what you're talking about or shut up. Yeah. Yeah, good luck. What is involved? What are you doing? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. Well, because when every and this, nothing to do with what we're talking about, I can't imagine this will be in the podcast. Cut to somebody listening to this actually in the podcast. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but like when when you live for what happens after you die, like you can excuse almost everything. I yeah. have noticed that, um, and you know, I'm a pagan, like, and so I'm always surprised when they're like, "Oh, this world doesn't matter," and I'm like, "This world is what matters. This world is." <laughs> beauty and life and recreation this is the only thing we know we have for sure yeah no. so the idea that you can pollute this world and then move on to heaven 
doesn't compute for me. Molly's like, what? We're not having this conversation. Don't dump stuff in the water. (laughs) Right. (laughs) (laughs) Too long, didn't read. Stop it. Just stop it. All of it. As a collective, knock it off. Yeah, exactly. So I am curious, as you were building this world, did you know the queerness would always be at the center of it? Oh, hell yes. Can you talk more about why that was important to you guys? I have always written queer stories. Um, Since I, well, I guess not always. My very first one was Fairy Street. But um, since high school, I've written queer stories. I very rarely have a cis-het character. Because A, that's my experience. And B... They're boring. They're boring. Uh, C, we (laughs) need more representation. (laughs) On this podcast, we can say it. Um, cishet people you're boring are you okay cishets um (laughs) (laughs) the amount of times i say that daily is getting to the point where i need a punch card and i I know like a free rainbow flag or something please it's yeah um like i've always been really adamant about making sure that representation is on the paper because we need it Uh and around the time we started tossing this around um i was getting i'm still fed up but i was getting really fed up with the fact that 90 percent of queer stories were coming out stories and the other 10 percent were pure erotic there wasn't really much in between sometimes they die at the end yes so so they're they're there to teach there are those Mm yes Mm -hmm. um and those are like that was like the entirety of queer stories on the page And as someone who had come out and was realizing they were kind of on the ace spectrum, didn't didn't really want to write pure erotica or more coming out stories. So I I knew I wanted to write something where the characters were queer and that was an important part of the story, but it wasn't the main plot point. It wasn't their full characterization was, oh my God, Aiden is trans. It it was a, it's part of him as a character and that's it. And Mm -hmm. yes, it it affects the plot, but it's not, the plot revolves around him being trans. It's, he's a trans character living in this world. And these are the things that happen because of it, because we live in a shitty, shitty transphobic world. And it was it was just always really important to me to have those characters on the page living as full rounded people in which queerness was a part or or even our racial diversity or our um our ability diversity because we've got characters with prosthetics etc like just being able to have those characters on the page and having them live their lives and having adventures and having relationships and doing all of the things other characters do in these situations and still having those differences differences be an integral part of that. That was always really important to me because again, that's my experience and I wasn't seeing that represented. And the fact that Liv was super on board with that and uh, helped me bring it to life is will always be super important. Yeah. Yeah. 
And for my part, um, I'm bisexual. I live as a secret agent, basically. And one of the quiet joys (laughs) in my life. I'm stealing that. I love that. Because she's married to you. As I came into my... As I came into my identity as an adult, it became one of my quiet little sarcastic joys was to um, wait until someone had said something really phobic. And then I would talk about my past girlfriends and watch them. And I'd especially wait for moments where they were going downstairs or drinking something. So I watched them. <laughs> That's so evil. I love it. That's it's, great. it's a sweet moment because um, too many people. So I'm also biracial. And you'd never know it unless I told you. Because you um, look like And a so ghost. a lot of people assume that I'm something I'm not. And they assume I'm one of them. And so mm-hmm. I love that moment where I can be like, uh-huh. Yeah, no. And make yeah. them open their eyes. And so I, I do feel like, like a covert agent a lot of the time. Um, and I mention that because sometimes it gets really old being a covert agent. And it's nice to tell stories where people are openly themselves and supported in it, not just, oh, that's nice, honey, but hey, man, are you okay? Are you doing all right? And it also, honestly, as an author, it opens up so many more interesting scenes. For example, that moment where there's a explosives alert and Aiden as a commander is going through his checklist and his brain scrambling and going, okay, shit, got to get everybody together. Got to do this. Got to do, where the hell is my binder? Shit, where's my packer? <laughs> It ended up under the bed. Damn it. And those are, I like writing those messy scrambling moments where life is just plain raw and real. And, mm-hmm. you know, whether it's where are my glasses or where's my They're packer. they Yeah. And those are more interesting to write than just, I'm scared, I'm scared, I'm scared. Because usually your brain doesn't just go, oh no, it usually goes through a checklist. And adding mm-hmm. things to that checklist makes a more interesting scene. And that is not a reason to add um, more diverse characters, but it makes it much more fun to write more complicated scenes. Um, so side benefit. But yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm sick of stories where, like Nonier was saying, either your entire um, identity revolves around what are people going to think of me or your entire... In, um, excuse me, your entire life revolves around what you do in bed. It's like, yeah, that's fun. Or you but die. that would be like your entire life revolving around what you ate for dinner. It's just part of who you are. And it's part of what you do every day. And yeah, it's an important part, but so what? Let's get on with the story. Yeah. On the other hand, um, it has created, that irritation has created some fun characters because we wrote Janice, who is a trans woman who is completely comfortable in her identity and her reaction to anyone giving her shit is, uh-huh, you going to start something? Um, and it's so much fun writing a character who's older and completely comfortable in her identity and just being like, I can kick your ass. No, I was just going to say, too, that um, I appreciate the books that are written, especially if they're somehow taking place in the future where they posit that sexuality and gender are no longer issues that plague people. And they, those people get to simply move through the world. Um, and, and we get to tell queer stories that aren't at all about their sexuality, but they are queer people living um, almost as, as straight people got to live for many, many years uh, 
in the United States, you know, before we started terrorizing them with our sexuality. <laughs> that um, comes later. Yeah. Uh, but, but I also think it's really important to have stories that show that like this struggle is far from over mm-hmm. and it will find new and it continues daily, but it will continue to find ways to shift and make evil somebody else like to marginalize another group and make sure that they're the ones who are coming for your kids now. And like the fact that that didn't go away just because we're in a, a story that's 75 years in the future was one of the things I, I really liked the most when I was first reading it. Cause it was like, they are still concerned about being outed, about people judging them, about not being trusted because of who they are and who they're afraid to reveal, like what they're afraid <laughs> to reveal about themselves. Like these are things that queer people deal with every single day. Like, I am a middle-class white man. I can walk into most rooms and people will listen to what I have to say and I'm good to go. And in the back of my mind, I'm always like, but what if they know I like dudes? Yeah. And like, would that completely change? And especially before I came out, like, will that completely change how all of these people think about me? If they find out that like, I'm not straight, Yeah. you know? And so the fact that that didn't go away, that's there. It's a part of the DNA of who these people are. Like, I, I appreciated that. I actually, I think it's important to have both both kinds of stories because we do yeah. need the hope that someday it won't be an issue. Mm-hmm. But we do need also the nitty gritty realism of I see your struggle, and here is someone who is getting through it to help bolster your own courage and your own struggle, and yeah. knowing that it's okay that you struggle and you can get through this. Yes. And also showing that messy reality of, yeah, some days just suck. Some days just hurt. But you're going to get better and it's going to be okay one day. Mm-hmm. Even if it's mm-hmm. not today. Because um, we do show some pretty painful emotions on the page. And the point is, don't hide from it. These things happen. And no, they, they're not fun. Mm-hmm. But... We didn't want to tell a story that was um, depressing. I'm just going to use the bloodless term fairies and rainbows. Like, oh, we didn't want to tell everybody everything. What I was, yeah, (laughs) (laughs) like we wanted something that told people, you know, yeah, it sucks, but we're going to be okay tomorrow. And essentially, we told that story partly because we needed it. Um. And people need to believe that even in the gritty times, things can get better. Because too often the nihilism kicks in in our cultural conversation of, well, we're just doomed. And I'm a history buff. So I know a lot of times in history where people just yelled, you know, repent, we're doomed. Uh, But we're never doomed. And this is when my own faith comes in. It's like, no matter what happens, things will go on in some form. And there is a deep hope in that. It doesn't mean you can't change things and you shouldn't do the work. You should. But underlying that is the hope of the land endures and there will be a way tomorrow, even if tomorrow is in another thousand years. There will be change someday. Hmm. But to circle back, I totally hear you on the fear of walking into a room. Part of the one of the smaller reasons we chose a pen name was... We had a conversation where we said to each other, look, if there's hate mail and it's a bad mental health day for us both, it needs to be somewhere 
not in our personal inboxes. It needs to be over there, out of the way, when we can look at it when we're okay. Because um, I've had a history of self-harm and we both had our own problems. And so we essentially said, this is our safety valve. And I hear you because I have clients who should not see my writing because they are upper class white women and I'm a landscaper and they would not get it and I would lose Mm -hmm. clientele. And I hate the fact that we live in a world where if nice white ladies saw what I write, I would lose a job. I am curious about the the ways in which you decided to make technology advance in your world and like the limits it has, but also how much it's able to do um, specifically in regards, because you introduced very early in book one that like a trans man like Aiden will be like has access to surgeries that will essentially change his body to be passively male. Right. And so what was your decision-making process for like how much of like a sci-fi angle are we going to take on how much this, the technology has developed in this time and what it's able to do? Uh, That was a tossing back and forth semi argument for a little bit. Um, Cause I, I went the, I want everything to be fixable. Um, But like, also I know it needs to be realistic, but like, wouldn't it be great if we had a strap on that like grafted on and actually gave you sensation like fucking please um and then Liv the the tech nerd and researcher was like okay so I'm gonna take that idea and look at what we currently have and just ramp that up a little bit <laughs> we're, yeah. we're gonna pull back from full Star Trek mm. here <laughs> yeah and my attitude is technology is amoral It's all about what we choose to do with it. So there were a lot of tech ideas that I ran with. The drones, particularly, that they become much more ubiquitous. I was like, okay, they'll do some good things. Delivering medicine to out-of-the-way places or helping people pinpoint stuff. But they'll also drop bombs. And it's all about how we choose to use it. And for me, that was an important message. But particularly on gender-affirming surgeries, that was, honestly, not everything can suck. Some things have to get better. Let's make things get better. Um, And so we took the approach that the seven corporations that took over the country each took their own attitude to social and economic things. And none of them are good but some of them are less destructive than others. And essentially, it's a recruiting mechanism. Like the people who want to recruit the free, you know, the free spirits and the people who like gene modification and like bodily modification, they're going to run with that technology and improve it and improve it as much as they can because it's a selling point. Come over here, come to us and be part of our talent pool because we'll let you do whatever you want with your body. And over there, the people who are, more restrictive are saying, oh, you know, we have to keep things safe and pure and you're one of the pure. Those are both different marketing schemes and neither one cares about the individual involved. They just want to get who they can to back them up. And I wanted to stress that, like in both cases, 
you're being marketed to. And in a lot of ways, you're being played. Because I think too often, um, we look around in our current dystopia and say, things are better. We see rainbow flags on stuff and we see this and that. I'm like, no, that's a marketing trick. What are they doing to protect you in law? What are they doing with your taxes? How are they helping you fill out your paperwork? If that stuff isn't working, then all the mar- cute marketing ploys in the world are frankly bullshit. Um, so yeah, the stressing was that some people will be improving this technology and some people will be banning it and the technology will move along in fits and starts, but in a hundred years, yeah, it'd be the dream is and the sci-fi element is you'll get to the point where you can get the body you're really looking for. And the downside is that in some corporate circumstances, they'll say, okay, you're getting these changes to your muscles and we don't care if you have arthritis in 30 years because. Um, So yeah, that was the approach. Things will move in fits and starts. Some things are further behind than you would have thought because America in our story shut itself off from the rest of the world. So I thought you were just going to say because America, which is because also America. America. (laughs) And America kind of goes the the route that modern China does where it's like, why should we let our citizens out? They're perfectly happy here and everything's great here and we have everything we need. So why would we let them out? That became the approach. And again, how Mm -hmm. prophetic that world that you've created is because like in the last few years how much christian nationalism has taken hold of of the right in our country and like there are people who that is their ideal shut down our borders keep everybody inside yeah yeah it's fucking terrifying and i hate that the real world is echoing our books because like Liv is fond of saying we meant it as a warning not a roadmap Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. um so we're really right. looking forward to the fact that in a, um, in a few years, we're going to be writing a YA CODA series with the kids of this generation grown up in a healing oh, country, that's awesome. in a healing world. Yay. And we're so hoping we're that part that, will be uh, prophetic, too, because the kids yeah. Yeah, that's really lovely. need a better I love world. That. And we, that's going to be a whole new challenge, because frankly, it's easy to imagine things going wrong. It was not hard to imagine things going wrong. It was a challenge to imagine how they can get better and how they can go right. But going way back in the conversation to something we've all said, um, our lived experience is queer folks helping each other out. And yeah, sometimes we get in fights and sometimes we disagree and sometimes somebody over there is being a jackass. But, you know, if we don't take care of each other, who's going to? And if those of us who do have privilege don't stand up and say, excuse me, what the fuck? then those of us who don't have privilege are screwed. And I have the privilege of being able to speak well and write fairly well and pass. And so my job is to stand up. And I mean, that really circles back to the pen name too. Our chairman, Safe, Safe Harbor, we wanted the series and I guess us as authors to help build community help build connections and that's through our books and through conventions and through talking to people and whatever it's we're here you're not alone 
And you're never going to be alone, even when it feels like it. Yeah. Because this world is really good at isolating you, isolating individuals, making us feel like we're helpless and we're alone, but you're not. Yeah. And if there's one thing you can get out of these books, besides enjoyment and a fun story, I hope it's that. Yeah. I hope it's that you know that you're not alone and you know that we're here, other people are here. It, it'll be okay even when it doesn't feel like it. Yeah. I cannot think of a better way to end. I was going to say, that. that's the perfect bow. And I was like, I'm not going to ask any more questions because yeah. that should be the like sparkle mm-hmm. bow on top. That was, that was amazing. Yeah, that was great. And I feel like like at the same time, we've barely scratched the surface. So oh, I, I have hope, like all the stuff I wanted to ask back. I hope, right. I was just about to say, I hope you guys will come back oh, so that we can chat. Yeah. I mean, if, mm-hmm. if the podcast continues, we have no idea. This might bomb. <laughs> we'll see. Um, but if it... If it doesn't, we'd love to have you come back. And if it's not a podcast, then let's just chat sometime. Yeah, <laughs> yeah <great. laughs> this was fun. Anytime.